0: Good morning! Good Uh, good to see you all. Um, My family and I, we were gone a couple weeks out on vacation, and we had a blast in South Dakota, and then Montana, and then the mountains of Idaho. But it's really good to be back here with all of you. Uh, I want to share a little uh, picture of my family hiking in Glacier National Park. Um, This was awesome. Uh, It looks like we're in Switzerland. I feel like we're the Von Trapp family. Uh, Like, the hills are alive. At the sound. Uh, anyways, that's that's kind of how I feel. It was awesome. It's so great to get away from it all and get up in the mountains. And then uh, my wife's college roommate is a missionary in Thailand, and they're in America every other year. And so when Kristen said, "Let's go visit Cora and Troy," I said, "Well, it's a lot easier to go to Idaho than Thailand. Uh, you can't drive to Thailand." So we spent a couple of nights up with them and they live in the boonies. I mean, we're talking basically the border of Canada. Uh, On my car and on a boombox, I couldn't pick up a single AM or FM radio station. Like that's how far away, I've never been in a place like that, that remote where you can't even get a radio station. So three days, no internet, no TV, no radio, nothing, uh, which was awesome, I wanna show you, uh, go to the next slide, Uh, that's the picture of their back deck. And so, wake up in the morning with your Bible and your coffee, and that's your view. Uh, it's just beautiful. It's so great to be up in the mountains. I think pretty much everyone likes to be up in the mountains at some point. Maybe you don't want to live in the mountains. There's something that speaks to our souls, I think, about the mountains, just their, their majesty, their power, uh, something about the, the bigness of God. It makes our problems seem so little. And there's something that, I don't know, speaks to us up in the mountains, And I got to be honest, it it was nice to be up there with no internet, no emails or texts to respond to, no phone calls to call back, you know, no big responsibilities, no lawns to mow. Uh, You know, that was nice. But we can't stay up in the mountains forever. Why is that? Why can't we just escape from it all, get up in the mountains, you know, and and just spend time with God and just be there, you know, all the time? Why is it that when we have these mountaintop spiritual experiences in our life, camp, mission trips, you know, different things, why is it that it seems like we can't maintain that spiritual high forever? What is that all about? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We are working our way through the book of Luke. We've been doing that for a while now, since December. Uh, if you're keeping track, this is episode 31 of our series uh, in the book of Luke. And uh, we're going to be uh, in Luke 9, verse 28. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me in there. You can pull up your smartphones. Uh, the verses will also be up here behind me. And today, we're going to start in verse 28. So Luke 9, and um, Before we get into God's Word, um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for Luke, who carefully wrote down everything that Jesus said and did so that today we could have his words and actions. I thank you for Theophilus, who generously gave to the cause of Christ so that we could have Luke's words today. Lord, I pray that you would... Speak through me, that these would be your words, not my words, that you would illuminate all our hearts and minds this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's read Luke 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these scenes, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses. And Elijah. So Jesus grabs three of his disciples, and they head up to the mountains. And on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured, and they see the glory of Jesus. And then off out of nowhere, Moses and Elijah show up. Now, my first question is, how did the disciples know who these two guys were? I'm not sure. I don't know if Moses and Elijah, like, had big name tags, like, hi, I'm Moses. Or maybe, you know, they were like celebrities and they had like their own t-shirts with their own faces on it. I don't know. Somehow, though, these Jewish boys knew that these heroes, Moses and Elijah, had shown up. Verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with them, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, take a second right here. We're going to camp out here just for a minute or two. That word departure literally means exodus so moses shows up to talk with jesus about his exodus if those of us who have been followers of christ for a while where else do we hear about an exodus what book of the bible is that exodus Exodus. thank you thank you hopefully a lot of you caught that so yes (laughs) book of exodus and uh, who's the guy who leads the children of israel out of egypt out of slavery Moses, yeah. So Moses shows up to talk about Jesus' Exodus. And Moses, he's this great hero of the faith. Um, we went through the book of Genesis, or really our first year, and we learned about how, you know, God created us to have a relationship with him. But then sin comes in, and we, we live under the curse of sin. And then God's way of redeeming people and, and renewing that relationship is through covenant. And we see he has a covenant with Abraham, and he, he calls him out of uh, Babylon and calls him out of darkness, and he picks Abraham to invest in and, and to start this new nation, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We learned all about their family stories. And then at the end, last fall, we learned about Joseph and, and how Joseph was the son of Jacob, and, and because of him and, and because of his faith, he was able to uh, save the world, really, And uh, we learned all about how, you know, sometimes we're in a pit. It doesn't mean that God's not with us, that he's still working, and and time's waiting, there's never time's wasted. Well, after Joseph, uh, a new Pharaoh comes who doesn't know Joseph, and then the children of Israel are in bondage and slavery for 400 years. 400 years. It's longer than our nation has been around. And until God raises up Moses to lead the people out of darkness and slavery and into light and into freedom and into newness and back into that covenant relationship with God and to, into the promised land. And so now Moses shows up to talk with Jesus about his exodus and how he's not going to physically lead the people of Israel out of slavery and into a new land, but spiritually he has come to set the captives free and to, and to help people go from bondage to freedom. I think that is just beautiful that Moses shows up to talk with Jesus about his upcoming exodus and and Jesus' purpose. And even though Moses suffered greatly, we see that Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice, that in order to lead us to freedom and newness of life, he actually gave his life for us.
1: Now, Moses lived
0: about 1,400 years B.C. and Elijah about 900 years B.C., And Moses penned the majority of the first five books of the Bible that we have called the Pentateuch, a book in five parts: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he, according to church tradition, he wrote most of those five books. I don't think he wrote everything, uh, because there's a part in there that talks about Moses' death and what happened right after that. And as amazing as Moses was, I don't think he could write down his own death. Uh, Probably not. My favorite thing that Moses actually says about himself is in Numbers 12, 3. He says, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. My humility is huge. Like, that's Moses. Like, I just think it's amazing he wrote that in there. He's The most humble person on earth. Uh, Moses is the one, he gave us the law. The Ten Commandments are given to him, the 600 Old Testament commandments. And so Moses represents the law. And Elijah Elijah represents the prophets. He's one of the greatest prophets of God. You know, the, the story of he's on the mountain, and then he calls down fire, and it's amazing, and then he flees, and birds come and feed him, and it's all these amazing things that God does through Elijah. And so with Moses and Elijah, we have the law and the prophets represented here. And all the law and all the prophets, friends, are about Jesus, Everything in the Bible ultimately is about Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. Rather, I have come to fulfill them. So they've, they've showed up to talk to Jesus about how he's going to fulfill the law and the prophets by his impending death on the cross. If we flip ahead to the book of Luke, we see that Jesus has a Bible study with some of his followers And we're told that Jesus led this Bible study and walked them through how the law and the prophets ultimately were fulfilled in him. And the priesthood pointed to Jesus, how the priest would represent uh, man to God. Now Jesus is our priest who represents us to God. And the temple was about Jesus because uh, Jesus is now our mediator and the temple was the presence of God. Now Jesus is the presence of God. And the sacrificial system was about Jesus because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and he lays down his life so that you and I can be saved. Amen? So the law and the prophets, they're all about Jesus. And here in this glorious moment, we have the law and the prophets coming to be with Jesus in the person of Moses and Elijah. And both these men had previously met with God on a mountaintop. Uh, Moses had met with God on Mount Sinai in Exodus 31, and Elijah had met with God on Mount Horeb, There's another name for Mount Sinai, in 1 Kings 19. Verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake... Anyone else this morning a little sleepy and need to become fully awake? Yeah, me too. Um, I I knew this morning that, like, I'd be on fire uh, simply because it's going to be so hot in here. So um, it's good to see all you guys, like, sweat, and you're like, man, this is amazing. Makes me feel good. Uh, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Now, we love Peter, because Peter always says the wrong thing, right? And I know there's some of you who consistently say the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? You know who you are, yeah. And he says this, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And Peter says, Jesus, this is the greatest small group ever. We're here, I'm here with with John and James. I like those guys. And we we were praying about it, and we think, Jesus, we'd like to ask you to be in our small group too. And uh, we think Moses and Elijah, they'd be good to be in our small group. So let's just stay here, have our small group here. This is gonna be awesome. So the problem is, if we go down the mountain, Then, like, other people are gonna wanna join our small group. And especially as we discuss the Old Testament, because we got some of the authors here. So we can, like, ask all our theological questions to to Moses and Elijah, and that'd be awesome. So let's log into, like, rei.com, get some tents. We'll just stay here on this mountain forever. We don't have any light, but that's okay, because Jesus, you got the glory thing going on right now. You're just kind of radiating, like, light. So we don't need any, you know, flashlights or anything. We don't have any food. This is Peter, like his whole plan, he's like, but I remember Moses, he hit a rock and got some water, and Elijah had that whole bird thing bringing him food, so Elijah, if you could hook us up with some of that, you know, raven delivery better than Amazon Prime, like we could have food, water, just be here forever, the most amazing small group, we can just sit here in this mountaintop experience just forever. And the problem is, is that Peter is trying to indefinitely sustain a mountaintop experience. Peter's trying to indefinitely sustain a mountaintop experience. And we tend to do this, don't we? You and I will have some kind of amazing experience, maybe at camp, or maybe we're on a mission trip, or maybe we're up in the mountains and we're praying and God speaks to us. And instead of moving on next, instead of just enjoying the presence of God and what he's done in our life, and then moving on to what God has for us next, we keep trying to go back, and relive that experience. It's not healthy to try and sustain a mountaintop experience. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. It's not healthy to try and sustain, just live forever in the mountaintop experience. Some of you had great experiences, camp, mission trips. And so for you, you're addicted to that camp high Some of you maybe had a previous church who did things in a certain way, and maybe that was even your first experience in worship, or biblical teaching, or community, or Holy Spirit-driven ministry, and it meant a lot to you, and God used that in your life. And hear me, I don't want to downplay how those previous experiences or that previous church, how God worked in those ways. We rejoice in that, but God doesn't want you to try to recreate or relive those old experiences. God doesn't want you to stay on the mountain in your REI tent just trying to sustain something that God doesn't want you to to sustain. He wants you to move on to what's next. We need those mountaintop experiences. We need those times away to get recharged and refreshed. But we can't stay there. There's something next for us. Verse 34, as he was seeing these things, as Peter's laying out his small group plan, a cloud came and overshadowed them. Right in the middle of Peter's whole plan. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, Peter, shut up. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I love it. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Poof, Moses and Elijah are gone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days, until they interviewed, Luke interviewed them, anything of what they had seen. So Peter's laying out his whole plan. Let's just stay here. This will be great forever. And God the Father, I think, gets a little frustrated. And he's like, Big cloud, this is my son. Listen to him. I love that. I think that's amazing. Shut up. That's the message remix version of what God says right there. Uh, Let's read on, verse 37. On the next day, so the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, an evil spirit, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, "O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Here's something I love. We just saw. I think God the Father get a little frustrated with Peter. Peter, shut up. Listen to Jesus." And now we see Jesus get a little frustrated. How long am I going to put up with you guys? Okay, I'm just being honest. Like As a dad, this helps me feel a lot better. Because there are times like on our trip, it's like, shut up and listen to your mother. Like That's kind of what God's saying, right? And like it's like, how long am I going to, have to put up with you until bedtime? That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. You can be frustrated and not sin. Amen? This is just my own personal philosophy. But anyways, verse 42. While he was coming, while the dad is bringing his son... The demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. So we got some crazy stories here. They go up on a mountain, clouds, glory, Jesus' face is revealed, Moses and Elijah long dead. They come back, they're talking to Jesus about his exodus, and they go down the mountain, demon-possessed kid, when they bring him to Jesus, he throws them like down and it's all nuts and then Jesus says like how long am I going to put up with you guys I'm like what and then casts out the demons and he heals them and everyone's amazed i want to spend some time now comparing and contrasting Jesus and Moses and their mountaintop experiences see both come down from the mountain to find a mess now maybe you don't remember this story of Moses and that's okay we're going to run through that real quick but sometimes you come down from the mountain to find a mess waiting for you. Sometimes you come down from the mountain to find a mess waiting for you. How did Moses respond to his mess? Moses was led up into the Mount Sinai to meet with God, and God himself wrote down the Ten Commandments on these stone tablets, and Moses' face is glowing. He comes down the mountain. He's all excited. And how, what are the people doing? They've melted down all their jewelry into a golden calf, so they could have some kind of false idol god they could worship, and they're dancing around it. That's what Moses, the mess he comes down to find. And Moses, how does he respond? He's frustrated, and he throws down these stone tablets that are written on them by the very finger of God. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals and raises a boy to life. Moses came down and found unbelief and started killing everyone. Exodus 32 tells us this, verse 9. Verse 9. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made, the golden calf, and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. That's hardcore. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on each side of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Moses is intense, man. He comes from the mountain to find a mess, and he is out for murder. He's out for judgment. How does Jesus respond when he comes from the mountain down and finds unbelief and he finds a mess? He starts offering healing. See, the law promised judgment, but Jesus comes offering healing. I'm so glad that God sent Jesus down from the mountain to speak into our situations, aren't you? And that he doesn't come with a sword offering judgment, but he comes offering healing. See, when I'm down in the valley dealing with stuff, the other nine disciples are down there, and they couldn't heal this little boy. And while we're in the valley dealing with stuff, Jesus is on the mountain, above my situation. See, down in the valley, there's confusion, there's frustration. On the mountain, Jesus has the power to heal. That's why David, the great warrior poet king, tells us to lift our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't stay on the mountain but he came down to meet a need. See, our eyes can look above towards Jesus, and he's going to come down the mountain to help. See, on the mountain, we hear God the Father say, this is my son, listen to him. Down in the valley, we hear a loving father say, this is my son, please heal him. See, there's some amazing things that God can show you on the mountain, but there's some things that God can only show you in the valley. There's some amazing things that God can show you on the mountain. But there's some things that God can only show you in the valley. See, the God of your mountaintop experiences is also the God of your valley experiences. So worship him because he's above it all. And all of this that he's not afraid of messy situations. He's not afraid of messy people. If you're imperfect, if you're not, don't have it all together, we like to say we're cool with that, you're welcome. Same thing with Jesus. He's not afraid of your mess. You know, I think about this father who came to the disciples to heal his son. He brought his problem to other people, but he didn't bring them to God. He didn't bring it to Jesus. Sometimes, I think, we surrender our problems to other people. And we think maybe we've surrendered it to God, but we've actually just talked about it. Instead of going to Jesus, we go to other people and we say, here's what I'm struggling with, can you pray for me? And here's what I'm struggling with, can you pray for me? Beth Moore, I love how she said it. I think this is absolutely convicting to me and maybe to you. We're not just looking for people to pray for us. We're looking for people to pray instead of us. Sometimes we're so concerned about bringing our needs and our concerns to other people that we forget to bring it to Jesus. It's possible that sometimes we say we've prayed about it when we actually haven't prayed, we've just worried and talked to others about it. Hey, I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> sometimes we talk to people around us about our problems and they can't help us. So then we assume that God can't help us. But here's the thing about the story of this father who brought his son to these disciples who were unable to help him. See, Jesus hadn't shown up yet. And when Jesus shows up, that changes everything. Amen? What is that thing in your life that you are carrying? What is that need? What are you holding on to that you've brought to other people but you haven't brought it to Jesus? And maybe you've assumed that because other people can't help you, you've assumed that God can't help you. Bring that thing, bring that need, bring that concern, bring it to Jesus. See, the Father finally brings his Son, his need for healing to Jesus. But before the boy gets to Jesus, things get worse. The demon throws him down he starts convulsing. Sometimes things actually get worse when you bring them to Jesus. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but sometimes things get worse when you bring that darkness, when you bring that need out of the hidden corners of your heart into the light. See, sometimes in order for God to make things better in your life, he has to expose how bad... That thing really is. He has to expose that addiction in your heart and how bad it really is. He has to expose how broken you really are so that we can go to Jesus for healing. And as I was praying over this passage and studying it, I usually try to think, like, like, who am I going to relate to? and, And who can we relate to as the people of God? And at first... I was thinking of the disciples, like these poor disciples. You know, sometimes I can relate to them. You know, I, think, I think they got confident because they had been doing some amazing things in ministry, and they're like, Jesus is up there in the mountain. We got this one. We don't need him. And they didn't. <laughs> and, you know, there are times, like the disciples, where I want to help someone, and I am powerless to help. And that's hard as a pastor. Then I started thinking about this dad in this story. Sometimes, sometimes you care for someone a whole ton. And so you, you pray for them and, and you try to help them, but nothing you can do can help this person that you love. And then I felt like God is saying, like, look at the son who doesn't speak, he doesn't have any lines in this story. So what happens to this, this boy? He says the evil seizes this boy. He's going along having a normal day and all of a sudden he just grabs a hold of him. I'm wondering what seizes you, what grabs you as you're going throughout your day? What desires, what addictions? And I'm not talking about just alcohol or heroin. I'm talking about guilt, regrets, perfectionism, lust, anxiety, laziness. We may not get possessed by an evil spirit, but maybe we're just going throughout our day and all of a sudden that thing that we struggle with just grabs us. What do we do when we feel powerless about that? See, the enemy, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to destroy every good thing in our life. And so maybe there's something in your life that is gripping you, that is seizing you. Some past event that you can't let go of, that you can't let go of the guilt and shame from that and find healing. Some addiction that you are still holding on to. Perfectionism a way that you're looking down on other people for the way they live their life. Jesus can't help you until you bring that thing to him. But God is bigger than whatever is seizing you, amen? Whatever it is that grabs you, whatever you find yourself struggling with, the battles that you are fighting, God is bigger than that. Jesus says, bring it to me. He tells the disciples, bring the boy to me. Bring it to me. That's what he's going to tell each one of us. Whatever it is in your life, you are struggling with it. You are fighting. Bring it to Jesus. Now, I told uh, some of our volunteers this morning that uh, when I first sat down to write this message and, we, and I planned this out uh, months ago, um, my whole message was follow Jesus up the mountain. That we need to, to go meet with God and, and follow Him and whatever is going on in your life, that He can heal you and He can free you from that. Follow Jesus up the mountain. And then this week, I decided to change my sermon title from Follow Jesus Up the Mountain to that place where you can worship God to Follow Jesus Down the Mountain. See, Jesus didn't stay up there on that mountaintop, but He came down for a purpose, for a reason. But why did Jesus heal this boy? Why did Jesus come down that mountain? and meet this need and raise this boy to a new life? What's the final outcome? Was it just to do something good? Was it just he loves him and he's like, oh, fine, he's here, might as well heal him. When we get recharged and renewed on the mountain and then we come down and, and we ask God to use us, is it why? Is it because someone has to hold the babies? Is it someone has to be told about the good news of Jesus? Why is it that we have to leave the mountain and come down what is Jesus ultimately after? What is his life mission? What's, I think the key is right here. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and he healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. See, everything that God does is for God's glory. Everything Jesus does is for the glory of God. Jesus goes up in the mountain. He gets filled up. The, the voice of God speaks. He calms down the mountain. He heals not just so that this person can be healed, but so that people would praise and glorify God. What do you dream about in your life? How do you dream about God using you? I hate to burst your bubble, but God is not dreaming about you. He's not dreaming about me. God is dreaming about God's glory. The right dream is not what God wants to do through us, As we come down the mountain, the right dreams are how big God is. How can we align ourselves with the character and the nature of God so that we're allowed to be set up for God to do great things through us? See, this is how it all started, is that in the beginning, God created us. He formed man. He breathed into that life, and man woke up face to face with God. And that is the dream we all want to get back to, face to face with the glory and the majesty of God. See, everything that God does is for his glory. Everything he does is so that people will lift up his name and make him famous. See, God is for you, but he's not all about you. God is for us, but he's not all about us. He's for his glory. Anyone who's willing to die for you, he is for you. But God is not all about you. And so often, myself included, we can look at the Bible and we can say, where do I fit into this story? Instead of saying, this is the story of God and what God is doing it, and he's inviting us to participate with him to bring honor and glory to God. The story of the cross is about bringing glory to God, that though we were slaves to our sin, that he saved us, that he redeemed us, The reason God led the children of Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt was not just so that they could no longer be slaves. It was so that the nations around them would say, Wow, their God is the one true God. The people of Israel led out of slavery into the promised land so that they'd be a light on a hill, so that people that were lost in darkness would point to God and say, Wow, we want to worship that God. And when we align ourselves with the bigness of God, then God is freed up to do great things in our hearts and great things through us. Peter, when he's up on the mountain and, and, and he, he's there and, and Moses and Elijah shows up, Peter, you know, he ducks in and he says, it's very good that we are here. Like, Dude, Peter, maybe it's not about you right now. <laughs> maybe it's not good, you know, hey, it's really good that I'm here to watch this. No. It's about Jesus about lifting up his name. It's about him being glorified. It's about what he's getting ready to do. If you read on, it says, But while they're all still marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He's going to die. And they didn't get it. Too often we get so focused on ourselves, we miss what God is doing. God is big. God is amazing. We need to get our eyes off ourselves, off our own problems, and look to the hills from where help comes from to look to Jesus. So often I think we ask, hey, what can I pray for you about? Or sometimes we even ask, hey, what are you praying about? I think sometimes a better question to ask is, How are you praying? Are your prayers filled with just more and more petitions? God, do this in my life, do this. Or are we spending some time extolling, lifting up the majesty, the beauty of God? When's the last time you just spent some time in prayer for those of us who are followers of Christ, just saying, God, you are amazing. You are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, and yet you are imminent here with us and just praising his name and just spending time thanking him. The reason we worship is not just so that we could have some good setup music for the sermon. The reason we worship isn't just so that people who are late checking their kids can filter in and still make it in time for the announcements. You know? The reason we worship is to reorient ourselves... Because so often throughout the week, our eyes are on ourselves and our own problems and say, oh, that's right. I serve a God who is huge. A God who is amazing and wonderful and marvelous. And this amazing, powerful God sent his son Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. And that is amazing. And worship opens our eyes to the awe and wonder and gives us hope of this great, mighty God who is bigger than any of our problems. But he's still, he's here and he's near and he offers hope and he offers healing. God is for you, but he's not all about you. John Piper, uh, he, he's a well-known pastor here in Minnesota and he's a whole lot smarter than me. I don't agree with everything John Piper says, probably because I'm not as smart as him, but I love what he says about prayer. Here's what He says, says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but it sounds really good. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with endless grace for every need. John Piper from Let the Nations Be Glad. Is that how you pray? I don't pray often. How often do we think of prayer as a wartime activity? saying, God, you are the limitless provider, and we're asking right now for you to give us some fresh supplies as we push against the kingdom of darkness, amen? As we liberate the captives, as we help people who are in darkness and slavery find hope and freedom and healing, that's only through the power of God through our lives, and we ask God to use us so that he gets the glory, amen? The good news is that we properly align ourselves with the will of God, we're perfectly set up to be used by God for his glory. God wants to do amazing things through us. That when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and we make him the leader of our life, we have the same privileges, we have the same access to power that he did, that we... when God works through us, we can rebuke evil spirits. We can pray for healing. We can help people find hope and healing because God works through us and it's pointing to God's glory. Amen? Followers of Christ, when you are facing that thing that is seizing you, that addiction, that perfectionism, that guilt, that shame, you can rebuke it in the name of Jesus. When you are by yourself and you feel that temptation of lust to look at that thing online that's so easy on our smartphones, you can rebuke that. There is power through God, through us. When you are at home and you're feeling like a wreck because the house is a mess and there's piles of laundry and you haven't started dinner yet, and you feel this waves of shame and guilt, you can rebuke that through the name of Jesus. That when you are with someone who is in bondage to the past mistakes that they made, and they're filled with intense shame and guilt, and they can't seem to break free of that, that through the power of God, through Jesus, you can rebuke that, you can pray for them, and they can find healing in the same way that Jesus prayed for this young boy to find healing. See, the, Jesus came down from the mountain to be used by God so that People would glorify God. And I believe the same thing in our lives. There are times when we need to get up to the mountains. It is so good to be recharged and refreshed and renewed and to be filled by God. And honestly, that's what we hope every Sunday morning is a little bit taste of that. Maybe it's a couple steps up the mountain and through worship, our hearts are getting filled and through God's word and through fellowship and we're getting filled up and we're getting charged up by who God is. We can't stay there forever. We come down the mountain to the valley to find the mess that's waiting for us. So that we can be used by God, not just to do good deeds, but so that God can get the glory. Amen? I'm going to invite the band to come on up. They're going to play a, just a response song. We're going to do a response song, and then we'll have a time of offering, so not right now. But if right now you are in the place of this Father who has an intense need, and you've brought it to other people, and people can't seem to help, what he needed to do was he needed to bring that need to Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now, maybe you've talked to other people about it. Bring that need, bring that thing, bring that addiction, bring that fear, whatever it is, bring it to Jesus. He can offer hope and healing. Maybe you're like the sun. You just feel something grip you and it throws you. And you need healing. Look to Jesus, the one who can heal and offer freedom. Let's pray for God to use us, to fill us with his power so that we can be used by God to help people so that God gets the glory. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you, this amazing, huge, beyond us, God, that even though you're so far beyond us, that you're so powerful, so amazing, you came down to this earth so that we could know you, so we could have hope and healing. So God, I pray that each one of us, that we could release to you the things that we're holding on to, the, those things that grip us, that hold us in bondage, addictions, guilt, shame, perfectionism. And God, that we would find grace and hope and truth through you. God, let us look to the hills from where our help comes from. God, let us look to you to be our hope. God, let us climb up the mountain to be filled and renewed by you and then come down the mountain to be used by you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can just stay seated and uh, if you want to sing along, you can sing along in the song. Others, I just want to give this as an opportunity for you to just reflect and maybe if you want to write anything down of, of what is God speaking to you in this moment, let's let's sing.